I want us to look at this story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, starting with verse 25. And I'm going to read the story in its uh, completeness so that you can kind of catch all of it. Let the, let the Word of God speak to you today. It starts like this. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, being Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. You would think that that would be the sufficient answer that the lawyer needed, right? I have to say it, but he was a lawyer. And so it goes on, wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, as he often does when a question is asked, with a total uh, deflection, doesn't answer the question, tells a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Jesus now gives his attention back to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, well, go and do the same. There's a phrase in there that says the lawyer wanted to justify himself. We talk about this a lot, but there's a lot of ways in which people seek justification, that stamp of approval, that you're a good person, that you're right with God, that God looks at you as a right, good person. And he wanted to make sure that that was true of him. And the way he was going to evaluate that was by meeting some kind of law-based obligation or some standard of the quality of his love. And that's why he asked, who is my neighbor? And I guess I want to say this just point blank right off the bat. Here's my point. Serving others is not a religious obligation, right? (laughs) Serving others is not a religious obligation to justify ourselves as being good people. That's the wrong reason. If that's the why you serve, don't serve. The lawyer, he was most likely some kind of a Pharisee, well-versed, able to quote the law, the Jewish law. He was able to just just run it right off his mouth. Just love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, that's right, just go and do that. But he takes it that step further and he says, I'm going to show you, Jesus, that I really am a good person because I know the answer to this question. Who is my neighbor? You can almost feel the smugness, can't you? 
who is my neighbor? Because the lawyer knew full, full well that most likely the people that lived around him, guess what? I'm pretty nice to them. They know I am nice to them. And so there's this self kind of uh, focus in the question itself. And Jesus just kind of blows the whole thing out of the water by telling this story. You know, sometimes when I read the words of Christ in, in the Scripture, I know this sounds weird, but Jesus is just so smart. You know what I'm saying? The way He is able to just say it in such a way that it just penetrates right into the situation. I mean, He implicates the lawyer, the religious leader in the story right off the bat. Because who are the two people that walk by? That's right. The pastor and the worship leader, right? The priest and the Levite. They just walk right on by. And you could come up with a lot of reasons, perhaps, that a person would walk by when they see somebody in such need. I came up with a few reasons, but maybe, maybe you've had this situation in your own life. You see somebody in need and um, you're all alone. And you think to yourself, you know, I'm all alone. Nobody's ever going to know if I just drive on by. Or maybe, even in a more sinister way, you have this idea that I'm all alone. If I stop and help, no one's going to notice. <laughs> so why would I do that? Secondly, the... the, the Jesus goes out of his way to tell us that these two religious leaders were on their way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Most likely, they'd fulfilled some religious obligation in Jerusalem. They were on their way home, most likely. Helping this man would be extremely disruptive to their personal schedule. It just wasn't convenient to stop and help. And I was reminded about this just yesterday. I'm on the phone with my son. He's driving home with his two oldest boys in the back seat. I mean, I can hear them. They're just going after it, you know. And we're talking. And we're talking about all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, he just interrupts the conversation. And he says, I got to go, Dad. I says, are you home? Why, why do you have to go? And he says, I just passed this person there on the side of the road. And they look like they're broke down. I got I to see if they gotta need any help. See you later. And you know what my first thought was? Where did he learn that? He's never seen me do that. Sad to say. Well, it's not really. I've got to give you a little disclaimer. If I stopped to help somebody on the side of the road, I would say, it looks like it's broke to me. Hope, hope you find somebody that knows what they're doing to stop and help you. Right? I mean, he can actually help them. But you take these, the contrast between the guys that walk by and the Samaritan. The first thing we see is that something happens inside of the Samaritan that says this cannot stand. The passage says he felt what? Compassion. And you see, there's something about the Spirit of God churning deep within a follower of Christ that looks at the pain of the world, that looks at the hurt of the world, the loneliness. And says this just cannot stand. 
It doesn't matter if my schedule is disrupted. It doesn't matter if it costs me. It doesn't matter. Because it's just who we are. Serving others, it's not necessarily something we do. It's just who we are. It's just the way we live our life. We just go through life and we see people in need and we help them. I mean, think about it. Do you think the Samaritan thought one moment about his reputation? How it could be helped if somebody would notice that what he's doing. I don't think so at all. He was motivated, it says, by something inside. So I've got to ask you, does God's heart hurt for people in this world? Oh. Does God's heart break when He sees the, the broken lives and the loneliness that is so prevalent in our culture today and the, and the, the, the stressed out, anxious lives? Does God hurt and God want to bring about His grace and His truth and His transformation into their lives? Sure it does. And when He's churning in us and He is at the control center of our lives, it, it hurts us. It, it, it's something that we just cannot Walk on by. You know, one of the activities that I involve myself in from time to time in Moldova is the ministry that they have at Kishinev Bible Church to the elderly. In Moldova, as many countries over there, they, there's no safety net for older people. Uh, at some point, you know, they, they're on their own. If they get food, great. If they don't, it's no worry of the government. And a lot of times their kids even just say, you know, that's... We don't have the money to help them, and they just kind of turn a blind eye. So these people, these older folks, a lot of times they're sick, and they're just on their own. And the ministry that I go to over there just, well, they just can't have it. They've got to do something. I've got to tell you, when I visit these, a lot of times it's just widows, it's ladies. And I go with a team of Moldovans and these are deeply moving times for me. As we walk out of these crowded little apartments, I mean, they just hug us and they cry with joy, not just necessarily because of the food, but because somebody had a moment's time to spend in conversation with them. I mean, you don't, you don't walk out of there and just say, well, that's no big deal. You just can't. If the life of Christ is at work in you, there's just something that just, your heart just goes out to them. And you go, where's the next one that we can go to and bring a little bit of Jesus into their life? And You know, another point that we notice in the story is that, uh, you know, the, 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 the Samaritan was not on some kind of mission trip when this happened, right? It just says he was on a journey. And that's all Jesus says about it. He was just going somewhere. And he happens upon it. And my point is this. Serve opportunities arrive all the time. Don't they? Ways to which help people, they just arrive all the time. Just look for them. How many of us are so busy to get where we're going or our schedules are... 
just miss them and we just walk on by. This Samaritan allowed his personal schedule to be disrupted by the need that presented itself. In other words, he saw the needs of the hurting man as greater than his personal schedule. I mean, does that minister to you? He saw the needs presented before him as more important or trumping his personal schedule. And I, boy, I just, that just hit me. I said, how, how important is my personal schedule to me? I mean, how many of you like to be on time, right? You just don't like to be late. I got to get there. I got to tell you, we can even get tied to our schedules when we're serving, can't we? When we're in ministry. Let me take you back to Moldova. We're, I remember a moment where, uh, where we're ministering to this lady, it's a widow, and um, she's our second stop on that morning, and uh, we have six stops to make, six bags of groceries that we're hauling around. We've, we're delivering our second one, and we're now into this about two and a half hours in this one home with this one lady. And what does my American brain say? We're never going to make it to lunch at this rate. We got to wrap this up. We got to get moving. And my Moldovan friends just keep talking. They're Russian and they just keep interacting. And there's, there's somebody trying to translate for me as fast as he possibly can. And we will never be fully available for God's divine appointments until we make ourselves fully available for God's divine appointments. Right? <laughs> I'm available. The Samaritan, whatever you want to do in me, whatever need presents itself, I'm available. I'll look for it. And the story Jesus tells he says the Samaritan bandages his wounds, he transports him, he gets him a room, he promises to pay the innkeeper. What does it tell us about serving? Let me ask you, does serving cost you? <laughs> yeah. Serving others will cost you, and I say plan on it. That's kind of the beauty of it. If it didn't cost you anything, if it didn't cost you the preparation time to get ready for those kids, if it didn't cost you to put up with some things that happen in a classroom, it doesn't cost you to make a travel uh, way across the, the, the globe, if it doesn't cost you some money and time, I mean, what's the use? It's, it's got to it's come from inside in such a way that it costs me something. I'm invested in this. I'm invested in this. One of the great examples is Michael Eford. He's gone to be with Jesus, great friend of mine, great example to me. And he tells me, I remember him telling me this, that he, he would carry around in his wallet a couple of extra $100 bills all the time because he never knew who God was going to put in his path. That he could just take out a $100 bill and bless him. Oh, and he had the stories. He'd tell you about a waitress that he blessed with a $100 bill and then she wants to find out more about why a person would do such a thing, right? I remember every year, and this is what reminds me, every year when I would go to Moldova, he would always put a $100 bill in my hand and say, would you use this to bless those people over there in some way? I just want to be more like that, don't you? I just want to be more like that. The last point is this. 
Serving others doesn't discriminate. Ever. It just doesn't discriminate. Jesus goes out of his way to make this story as distasteful as he can to this pharisaical lawyer. Who are the villains in the story? People just like him. Who's the hero in the story? The person he probably most detests. The Samaritan. He would have this built-in bias against Samaritans. He would have this idea that a Samaritan could not do anything kind and good of a value. There's no virtue in a Samaritan would be in his mindset. And yet Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And I find it very interesting that at the end of the story, Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, who is the one that had the most mercy? And what is he, what's his answer? Is his answer the Samaritan? He can't even bring himself to say it. He says, well, the one who showed mercy on him, he is the true neighbor. So let me ask you. I mean, can you think in your mind of any person, people group, that you might have difficulty extending ministry to help? I mean, I thought about a homosexual suffering from AIDS. I thought about perhaps an illegal immigrant who's suffering from a health issue and I mean, don't we sometimes get so clouded with the stuff and the issues and even the politics sometimes to overlook that this is just me, a person, helping this person in need? One of those encounters in Moldova, we, we met together before we went out and we prayed together about our ministry and the people that we would come in contact with, and they, when we quit praying, they said to me, okay, Dave, get ready. I said, why? I always, I always worry now when they say, Dave, get ready, you know, but they say, we're going to go visit a communist. I said, well, I thought a lot of those were around here, you know. They said, no, I mean, she's a communist. Better be ready. We walked into this room with this elderly lady who was just small and lived by herself and a widow. And uh, I mean, she started right in. I mean, it was just like all the glory days. And she was, I think, trying to convince me a little bit about all the glory days of Joseph Stalin and how what a great man he was. He was almost like a god. I remember saying that. And then she would kind of go through Soviet history with me, trying to help me, I think. And she says, and then there, then there came that evil, evil man, Boris Yeltsin. Do you know anything about Soviet Union history? Boris Yeltsin kind of broke it up, you know. And I could just see the hatred in her eyes for this man. And throughout the conversation that was uh, mostly her talking, me listening, about an hour of this, What's the one subject that we talked about the whole time? Well, it's the only subject that a lot of Soviets will talk about. Government. It's God. And yet, I'll never forget this. It was just stunning to me. In that after this conversation and hearing her heart and seeing the fire in her eyes and 
handing her a bag of food. And on the way out, seeing her, she reached up there and she just grabbed me, weeping, kissed me on the cheek. And this, this word, spasiba, spasiba, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just in that moment, I thought, this is not an American and a Soviet, right? This is a person and a person. We talk about worship, connect, and serve. And when we do, we're talking about just basically being Jesus in our world. Being so full of him that we live this sacrificial offering of praise, of worship to him. By the way we live, not, not just in Sunday, but just by the way we live. And there's this love that, we, that compels us to be unified with the body of Christ. And we, we, we won't go through life isolated. We will connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. We will share fellowship together. And we see the need in the world. And we just can't walk on by. A disciple of Christ doesn't just walk on by. And yes, it's a corporate vision, but yeah, obviously this is each one of our journeys. Each one of our journeys is, is, is God doing these things in me. What is it that I need to pray about? What is it that God is stirring in my soul? Maybe it's been a long time since you've really connected with another Christian and really shared your story, shared your life. Maybe it's been a long time since you've really been used of God to impact somebody else's life who is in need. Maybe God's saying something to you. As we close this service, I just want us to just pray as a church that God would do these things in us. Father, there's just so many ways in which you are working through the lives of so many people in this church and We've just highlighted some of those today. Father, I see in the hallways, I see all these teachers and I see people during the week teaching Bible studies. I see people who are caring for babies during MOPS and the, the MOPS leadership team that meets together and puts all that activity together for mothers of preschoolers and the youth ministry and the involvement of volunteers and staff. And I just see so many people being used of you, Father, and we cherish that. We praise you for the callings that you've put upon so many people's lives. And yet, Father, we are just so anxious to, to further the ministry that you have in us and through us. And we know it starts with a point of surrender at making ourselves available for your divine appointments. For those situations that you will just bring in our path to help somebody to share a little bit of who you are with them. Do that in us, Father. And we praise you for that. As we close, I want you to stand, will you? And uh, we're going to sing a familiar hymn. It's just a hymn of surrender and offering of ourselves before him. Let's sing it together.